So we continue this day our message series, The Seven, looking at the seven days of creation, how it was that God formed everything we have and everything we are, and thus what is our place in that creation to care, to be a part of, to make sure that what God has created, we be the best stewards we can. And so in doing that, we go back to that very beginning, that story of Genesis chapter 1, and we continue with the second day. God spoke, sky. In the middle of the waters, separate water from water. And God made sky. God separated the water from sky, from the water above the sky, and there it was. God named sky the heavens. It was evening, it was morning. Day two. And so here we are at day two. And it's important to be aware that each day is named. Each day is given a title, not just a number, because this is more than just ordinary time. We may know what that's like. Does it feel like one day has passed from this worship service from the last? How does time work? Does it maybe feel more like a week? Does it maybe feel longer? Because we've all had those days, right, where we say, wow, where did the time go or when is this day ever going to end? In the special uh, theory of relativity, Einstein determined that time is relative. In other words, the rate at which time passes depends on our frame of reference. So, for example, a second in one person's frame of reference may be longer compared to someone else's. Put it a little bit closer to home. Think about Christmas. It's December. Show of hands, who cannot wait to unwrap those presents? All right. Now, show of hands, who needs more time to wrap those presents? Right? Time is different. It may be too fast. It may be too slow. So how long did a day really take for God to do all of this creating. Does time work the same way for God as it works for us? Did it really take 24 hours for God to separate the light and the darkness? Did it really take just 24 hours for God to separate the water from above and the water under us? This is part of why Genesis is written the way that it is, not as a scientific explanation to the creation of the world, but a story. A story of God actively involved into creation, speaking it, literally speaking it into existence, and then shaping it with intention and involvement. And each and every day, God gives significance and importance by giving it a name just as we have significance and importance wrapped up in our names. Last week, Pastor Nikki spoke of Genesis being written out of the Israelites' lives of captivity, their oppression, their domination, being forced to learn and adapt to new ways of life, including a whole new religious system that they didn't belong to, and being told that the Babylonian gods were more powerful, and thus they were captured, they were defeated, they were weak. Because their God was weak. 
Now, the ancient Babylonian style of worship was um, pluralistic. It had many, many different gods, gods like Tiatmat, Ea, Marduk. These are gods who were at war with each other, who fought. And in the midst of that fighting, spurred and spawned creation. So thus, in the ancient Babylonian creation story, the world and humans come into being because these gods are fighting and we are what happens next. But the Hebrew God, the God of the Israelites, simply yet powerfully speaks. That's it. There is no battle. There is no test. There is only God and creation. And so again, Nikki talked about water, the, the mysterious, the, the mystery of the water, the danger. Remember, there were no maps. There were no guidance systems other than people having the courage or the necessity to go out into those literally uncharted waters. What was over the horizon was literally anyone's guess. So think about that mystery, that uncertainty, that fear. And then think about hearing a story where your God is able to separate and thus have power over those mysterious, dangerous waters. And now, just as mysterious, just as vast, is what we call sky. What is sky? How far does it stretch? What is above it? What goes beyond? And now, even thousands, thousands of years later, with everything that we have learned, have we really conquered that mystery? There are things that we know, obviously. There are things that we have discovered, but we still have a desire. We still have the desire to look up. And maybe that's where the saying comes from, right? Look, up in the sky. It's a... It's a... It's... Yes. I knew you'd get it. Thank you. So there is a point to this quote. Remember, Superman started as a comic, and then it escalated very quickly, actually, to radio. So imagine a family, you know, sitting around a radio. How do you capture that in someone's imagination? Because back in the radio days, Superman didn't actually fly. He could leap the tall buildings in a single bound, but he couldn't really fly yet. And so part of what the radio producers were trying to get the audience to do is to imagine what Superman was doing. And so you need that audio that audio commentary, that instruction to look up in the sky because that's where the story is going to happen. That's where Superman is. But more importantly, that's where our imagination can go. So it's not just about a radio uh, making things easier. It's about sparking our imaginations. Because if you think about it, everything that Superman does, he could do without being seen. He's fast enough. He could blur in and out. He could put out that fire. He could stop that train, whatever, and no one would ever know. There is a reason Superman wants people to see him. It's why he flies just low enough that people can look up in the sky. It's why he wears that colorful costume. Superman allows us to be inspired and to hope when we look up in the sky. I remember one time in college, as I was walking from one class to another, 
we were all looking down at the ground. I mean, no one was really paying attention to each other. This was, by the way, even really before cell phones were a big thing. So we didn't even have a phone to look at. We just kind of didn't look up. We didn't look at each other. We just kept our head down, went from place to place to place, going through the motions, going through the routines, and not really noticing anyone. And it was in college that one Christmas, as I was reading A Christmas Carol, probably my favorite story of all time, I, re- I, I caught on something that Jacob Marley said, his ghost, when he visited Ebenezer Scrooge, and he's lamenting how he wasted his life. He said, why did I look through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down? Why did I never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? We are called to look up from our difficulties to look up from our challenges, to look up from our uncertainties, our restraints, to look up from our heartbreaks. Now, that's not to say that we should always try to distract ourselves. It's not to say that we should always look away from what's going on around us. But as we say as United Methodists, it's a both and. God invites us up to the mountain, but God also calls us to go back down from the mountain to do the work we have been called to do. Because if we do look up, if we stay up too long, we become detached to those who need help. But at the same time, if we stay too low, too focused to the ground, we become burned out and overwhelmed. And we lose contact with that reason why. We forget how we are a part of the beauty of creation. Not too long ago, the the James Webb Telescope was unveiled. It is a space telescope currently conducting infrared astronomy. As the largest optical telescope in space, it is equipped with high-resolution, high-sensitivity instruments, allowing it to view objects too old or distant or fate for our traditional Hubble uh, space telescope. And maybe you were a part of the public phenomenon when these images came out. I mean, these literally looked like paintings. And we had to be told over and over again, no, this is really what the skies are like. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful, glorific images of creation. So on the one hand, no, they're, they're not art. At least they're not artificial But yet, at the same time, yes, absolutely, they are art. They are the art of creation, the art of the sky. And so with this telescope and with more exploration, we are continuing to learn more and more and more. And yet, and yet, have we conquered the mystery? Because no matter how much we learn, we strive to learn more. We strive to know more. We strive to continue looking up in the sky. Why? Neil deGrasse Tyson is an astrophysicist and just all-around cool person, I think. One of his skills is not just knowing about astrophysics and science, but communicating it in a way that connects with all people. 
He not only understands the science, but he sees the poetry, the beauty in creation of why all of this is meaningful. And he wrote about this years ago in one of his books, a sort of conclusion to why do we need to know any of this? And so in his words, not only the words of an astrophysicist, but more importantly, the words of a human, he explains why we need to know. The seven days of creation are not to scientifically explain how creation came into existence. It is a story to remind us how we are connected to God and how God is connected 
with us. So how do we help care for this creation? How do we help to care for God's sky? And there are, of course, things that we can do to limit air pollution in terms of public transport, in terms of travel, in terms of maybe not taking as many trips uh, without that mindfulness of how it affects the wider environment. But there's also, closer to home, the kind of pollution that comes from various uses of light that affect not only the sky, but also those who call the sky home. To be able to use outdoor lighting when needed, maybe to only light those areas that absolutely need light in certain times, minimizing blue light emissions, to utilize fully shielded light fixtures outdoors, to close blinds at night to keep the indoor light inside so that animals which are either uh, day animals or night, diurnal or nocturnal, that the light that's artificial doesn't uh, interfere as much with their lifestyles. But we care for all of creation. We care for it all because we are connected with it all. We are a part of it. And this is part of what Jesus means when he says, love your neighbor. That neighbor is not just humanity. Our neighbor includes our world. Love one another as I have loved you. So today, tonight, and in the days to come, I invite us to look up in the sky. I invite us to look and to wonder and hope and to think about how we might better care for what it is we are looking at. Because when we look up in the sky... We are also looking in a mirror. Let us pray. Gracious God, may we continue to see you and the beauty, the art of your creation. May we see it when we look up. May we see it when we look down. May we see it all around us. And may we see it, the beauty in one another. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so if God is so good to us, let us be good to each other. Let us be good to God's creation that is so wonderfully, so artistically made so that we may know more fully God's love for us and for the world. And so may we go as stewards and as part of creation that when we look at creation, we are also looking back on ourselves and to each other. And so as we go, as we care, may we do so in peace. Amen.